Hey everybody, I just want to take a moment to talk about a new thing I'm doing. Over the years, many of you have reached out to me telling me how much you love the podcast, but also wish there were more personalized takeaways and more in-depth interactions with our guests to hear what they think about comedy. This is why I'm now launching my new digital academy, Blueprint for Success. With exclusive interviews and comedy philosophies of stars and industry veterans, personalized versions of the Industry Standard podcast, commercial-free, and one-on-one coaching time with me. Blueprint for Success will give you the powerful tools that will take you up the elevator beyond the competition and reach the highest possible levels to achieve your dreams. Whether it be stand-up, sketch, improv, acting, writing, producing, directing, hosting, radio podcasting, social media influencing, or even if you want a career behind the scenes as a manager or an agent. Now I'm here to help, personally. We'll go on an express train of comedy and entertainment like nobody else has before. You can find out more about Blueprint for Success and the comedy business on my website at barrycats.com. Together, we'll take your career where you want it to go. When you're in a startup, you have no choice but to be customer-centric because product market fit and your survival depends on it. Let me say that again. Your survival depends on it. So you're so busy trying to find perfect customer centricity and fit, and you're just always worried that you're going to run out of money. So your challenge is the business model and other things. But your challenge isn't, are you, do you have a product that's worth existing in the world? Because every day you try and prove that. The converse is there are many companies that get big on one thing they've done right for the customer. Most companies, I mean, for Google, it was search. Like for, you know, for StubHub, it's access to tickets. I mean, most companies find product market fit on one dimension and they go. But when you get big, it's a lot easier, you know, to sort of sit tight with the one thing you have and actually not to innovate. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Industry Standard with me, Barry Katz. We have a really, really special episode for you today with a very different kind of person in the entertainment business. And I'm talking about Sekunder Singh at Cassidy, who will inspire you and let you know that anything is possible in this world, doing such great things. And I know you're going to really, really like her a lot. So without further ado, I will introduce her and get right to it. Sekunder Singh Cassidy is presently the president of StubHub and founded and successfully built and scaled technology companies throughout her career at the intersection of media and commerce throughout the world. As SVP and president of StubHub, she is advancing expansion into international markets and a driving force behind the innovation of technology to deliver superior fan experience. Secunder and StubHub have joined together as an advocate for fans in search of the best choice, providing open access to live events and connecting fans with their favorite teams, shows, and artists from around the globe. 
Prior to StubHub, Secunder was founder of The Board List, a talent marketplace that matches female leaders in business with the best board opportunities in the country. She was also the groundbreaking founder and CEO of Joyous, Polyvore, and co-founder of Yodli. Secunder also held senior leadership positions at Google, including serving as president of its Asia-Pacific and Latin American businesses. One of the most interesting and authentic people I've ever had the chance to interview in this business. Please welcome Secunder Singh Cassidy. All right. The first thing I wanted to ask you, because you're a who's who of companies you've started with, and then you went from that company to another company that was yeah. extraordinary, and then you went to another company. And yeah. in the technology world, if you fail, it's very hard to move to the next level. And when you're succeeding, mm -hmm. it's a frenzy. Mm -hmm. And so what I wanted to ask you, is it harder to leave an existing group of people that you work with to build it and mm -hmm. give your Everything. sweat and everything or is it harder to enter a new company with new people and start your philosophy on what it takes to get it to the point where the other company was wow that's a great question i'm good for one a year there you go that's a great one no one, no one has ever asked me that question so it's a good question um so first of all just the reality is that in tech you do fail and you do fail down sideways and sometimes up. So my career has as many failures as it has successes. I think people credit me with having some sort of upward trajectory that is perfect, but the reality is I've actually failed many times. Um, and you can just look back at my background and see some of the things I failed at. But um, to answer your question, so um, everywhere I've ever joined, StubHub aside, I have been part of... Um, a place where the culture is not set, right? Okay, so early in my career, of course, I was in, you know, as a junior person, I was at Merrill and I was at uh, Sky and those cultures were set. But even when I got to Amazon, it was only a thousand people. Google was 1,200. Um, my own startups were my startups. So of course, I'm responsible for all the good and the bads of those cultures, right? Um, so I think that um, you were right that I've always left this group of people when I feel like I've, I've been at the end of an amazing journey and it's time for me to learn something new. And that is the characteristic of why I leave. Is it harder to enter than to leave? I'll tell you, I mean, at StubHub, it is the first time that I'm entering a culture that has been set for you know, 18 years. And it's not the same culture. I mean, that culture has evolved and turned over. And you know, cultures, unfortunately or fortunately, change with leaders. And so as there have been uh, transitions at StubHub, the culture, I'm sure, has morphed. What hasn't morphed, thankfully, is the one thing that fits the most with my values, which is it is a, it is a company that centers around the customer. And... It has always been known as sort of being the champion brand of the customer. And so to answer your question, it is hard to or it is harder to arrive at something that is set and think about how to make your mark than to just grow it from scratch. That's what people will tell you. Like whenever you grow a culture from scratch, it has all of your sins and all of your strengths. And I always say that company cultures reflect their founders or CEOs. At StubHub, there is a very, you know, of course there is culture associated with an 18-year-old company, mostly the through line is about fan centricity and being customer first. And that resonates so much with me that that anchor makes it easier to deal with the things that are more intractable, that take longer to change. 
Um, like I might wish that we would ship product faster or, you know, be more comfortable failing publicly. I mean, those are the things that are not as comfortable in a larger company as you are when you grow something. But the thing that I love about StubHub and that has made that, you know, that work to transition something that you didn't build great is that fan culture. Do you mind if I go toe-to-toe with you for a second? Sure, please. I love it. You said something that was fascinating to me. Companies that are customer-centric. Yeah. I can't name one company that isn't customer-centric. Isn't that the whole thing about the company? (laughs) Every company is to be customer-centric? But you and I both know that there are companies that say they're customer-centric. And and there are companies that are customer-centric. So... um, I think what people say and what people do are very different. I would agree um, with that. And I think that the biggest difference I see by far, and I said, and Kate can tell you, my first day on the job at StubHub, uh, I wrote a blog post, and I and I said, scale is a privilege. How are we going to use it? And what I mean by that is, when you're in a startup, you have no choice but to be customer centric because product market fit and your survival depends on it. Let me say that again. Your survival depends on it. So you're so busy trying to find perfect customer centricity and fit and you're just always worried that you're going to run out of money. So your challenge is the business model and other things. But your challenge isn't are you do you have a product that's worth existing in the world because every day you try and prove that. The converse is there are many companies that get big on one thing they've done right for the customer. Most companies, I mean, for Google, it was search. Like for, you know, for StubHub, it's access to tickets. I mean, most companies find product market fit on one dimension and they go. But when you get big, it's a lot easier, you know, to sort of sit tight with the one thing you have and actually not to innovate and not to keep putting the customer first because lots of things can kind of come and challenge that. Profitability and, you know, how many people we were allowed to hire this year and, you know, where's competition going and all these things. There's lots of, actually, the bigger you get, there are a lot of distractions. And you have the comfort of knowing you're going to make payroll or, you know, be profitable every day or, you know, you don't worry that the lights are going to go off if you do something wrong. So then what's the challenge? If the lights aren't going to go off if you do something wrong, if tomorrow you're still going to sell 10,000, 80,000, 100,000 tickets, uh, isn't it easy to forget about the customer? So I actually think when companies get bigger, they get far less customer centric. That's the risk. And you have to sort of figure out how do you come back to the thing that got you there. Uh, so like I said, when I joined StubHub, I was like, you know, scale's a privilege. Uh, I can tell you that, being on the other side. Like on the other side, you're looking for product market fit and every day you sweat the business model. And whether you can do the thing that delights the customer and still make money. Then you start making money doing one thing well and you sort of forget in some ways, you get caught up in the rigmarole of a large company. And I'm like, ah, every day we get to serve, you know, tens of thousands of customers. Uh, Let's just make sure we stay focused on that and innovate there. One of the things I'm a firm believer in is who's the better trapeze artist? The <laughs> okay. one that performs with the net or the one, or that the performs, one performs without the net. Mm-hmm. So in your career, yes. you've started your yeah. own companies yes. where, like you say, yeah. are we going to have enough money? Are the lights going to be on? Yeah. What's going to happen? And then other companies like yeah. StubHub where you have the net. Yeah. Are you a better executive without the net or with the net? I'm going to give you an answer you don't like, but I believe it's true. <laughs> uh, I see myself as an executive who can go from net to no net and back to a net. Uh, and I look for executives who look like that. And here's why. 
because if you're somebody who exists without the net, you learn how to hustle and to build. And most of all, you learn grit. You learn resilience. You learn that failure doesn't end your career. You learn to put things in perspective. And that unique set of skills is amazing, right? If you can take that into an environment where you have scale and show people that like the things that people are scared about when compared to sort of a startup, like you have this ability to take the same risk, but you don't see it. You feel like you, somehow you feel like you're bounded in your conditions in a large company in a way that you aren't. And these are dimensions you put on yourself. And so it's like, wow, if I could do this without a net, imagine what I could do with a net. But unfortunately, people who are with a net sometimes are more afraid to take risks than people who've been without a net. Um, and the thing you want to teach in large environments is the ability to take risk and to and to fail and still be okay because it it you know gets people i would say working with more velocity and more you know um and stretch and i think the thing you learn in startups is learn how to hustle but you know what you miss you do miss the ability to flex your uh, muscles at scale so I don't know. You'd have to ask people who work with me. Maybe the people at StubHub think they should just send me back to a startup. And maybe the people I ever worked with at startup are like, oh, my God, Sukender, you're always living in the future. Why don't you just go somewhere big where you can do these 10 things at once? Because we just need to focus. Uh, but mostly, I actually believe in what I call operating range, people who can go low to high. And I think that um, operating without a net, even in small ways, it doesn't have to be a big way. You don't have to be a founder to operate without a net. You need to be in situations where you can take little risk and learn that even if you fail, it takes out, it, it, it works out. And once you know how to take sort of like iterative risk and have them fail, you learn resilience. And once you re learn resilience and grit, you become a better executive in any situation. Hey, everybody. I hope you're enjoying this episode as much as I am. If you made it this far and you haven't fallen asleep yet, then you must be the type of person who's serious about having a career in the comedy business. That's why I'm offering you my Blueprint for Success, a one-of-a-kind all-access pass into my knowledge and experience after over 40 years of working with the best of the best in this crazy entertainment industry. I'll tell you all the stories, all the philosophies, give you all the great special guests, and even give you one-on-one -on -one private consultations to help you expand, enhance, and skyrocket your comedy career. Just go to barrycats.com and click on Blueprint for Success to learn more about my groundbreaking digital academy that I've created just for you. With it, we can take your career so far that one day, instead of listening to this podcast, you'll be interviewed on it. Hey, everybody. I've talked a lot about AquaTrue on this show, the amazing water purification system that's literally a miniature water cooler in your home that purifies the water in a way that no one else has ever figured out how to do. It's this incredibly efficient piece of equipment, and it gives you the best tasting water you can ever imagine for pennies. You just take it out of the box, plug it in, put your tap water in it, and it takes out all the bad chemicals and gives you the best and healthiest water you can ever imagine, saving you thousands of dollars each year from buying bottled water in the store. I have one at my house and office, and 
everyone who uses it orders one, and you should too. Just go to industrystandardwater.com and type in the promo code Barry, and if you act now, you can get $100 off and start enjoying the best and most cost-effective water you've ever had, and never waste another dollar buying bottled water again. I just want to share another groundbreaking product with you. It's a revolutionary air purifier that will change the way your home operates. And I'm talking about the air doctor. The air inside our home can be up to a hundred times more polluted than the air outside. But with the air doctor, you don't have to worry about it as it removes dust, pet hair, mold, pollen, flu viruses, and so many other contaminants that circulate throughout our homes. Till now, the only thing that could come close to this product were systems that cost thousands of dollars. But now you can get the Air Doctor for a fraction of the cost, normally $600. And if you don't believe me, check Amazon. But for a limited time, I can give you 50% off and save you $300. Just go to airdoctorpro.com, type in the promo code Barry, and get rid of all the bad toxins in your home. I'm telling you, I have this product. It really, really works. So get one now and start breathing the cleanest and healthiest air you can ever imagine. I'm a manager and a producer of TV and film. And as an artist, you have two choices. Mm -hmm. You take a job for respect Mm -hmm. with less money or you take a job with a lot of money but chances are you're in Jaws 4 yeah, yeah, and you're Michael Caine and you're getting out of the water and your clothes are still dry in the yeah, film. Yeah. So in your trajectory of your career, has it been difficult and do you always choose the job that's out of respect and the money will come or are there some jobs where I cannot turn that down? And I have to go there. And I don't know if I'm going to be able to do the kind of thing that they want. But, hell, if they want me, I'm there. I would say uh, almost unilaterally I've chosen the job that I think I'm going to be great at uh, and trusted that the money will come. I'm, I'm actually trying to think of a single choice I've made, but that wasn't the case. I would say the only choice I made that was of the former, but not even really because I really wanted it, is I went into investment banking early in my career um, it was a prestige job, so I wanted it because it was a prestige job. But I also didn't know what the hell I wanted to do, and I was like, oh, if I don't know what I want to do, going into banking or consulting is a is a good first step. There's no doubt that was probably the only job in my career where I was equally motivated by not knowing what I wanted to do, and so taking the prestige job, if that makes sense. Um, but I didn't really take it for the money. I took it because I didn't. I thought it would just be a good starting point. And then when I saw everybody else in my business school class, I was in an undergraduate business program, get it. Of course, that my competitive juices were flowing. I was like, well, they can get that. I can get that. So that was like the most kind of ego-driven decision. I was like, oh, if they can get it, I can get it. But I didn't, I didn't, it's not like I was making a choice against something that I loved with less money. I just didn't know. When you're sitting across at these companies, when you have that audience, you close the door and yeah. you're in the room with the guy with the corner office with the nice suit or the woman in the corner office with the nice suit who's ahead of you, who's above everything, who's the head yes. of the company and you have that audience with them alone. Yeah. 
is it harder to tell the truth or is it harder to hear the truth? I think it's much harder to tell the truth. Um, I think it's much harder to tell the truth based on everything I've absorbed and everything I've uh, discovered being on both sides of it. I think, um, first of all, I think the average employee underestimates how much CEOs or leaders want to hear the truth because nobody wants to be surprised, right? And if you're a leader, you want to be surprised least of all. If you're in the boardroom, you want to be surprised least of all. So nobody wants to be the guy who didn't know until it was too late when they could have affected an outcome earlier. So the thing a CEO fears most, even more than hearing hard things, is not hearing it at all because everybody's too afraid to tell them. And I think that um, because it doesn't give you any chance to respond. And... And already that's the risk with CEOs because everybody thinks their, you know, their job is to never make a mistake in front of a CEO, to never admit when things are going wrong. So your biggest fear, I think, as a leader uh, who it, is that you hear too late or don't hear at all because nobody had the balls to tell you. Um, so I don't think it's harder to hear. Even though people might say that in the moment, I think most people want to hear more. The question is how to get that hearing, which comes back to the harder thing, which is people don't really want to tell when something is is not going great. Um, and I think that's because of fear of what it reflects around the environment around them. Maybe they're fearful, fearful that it you know, shows something about another colleague and they don't want to make somebody else look bad. They don't want to make themselves look bad because again, they perceive that a mistake is you know, ultimately a personal reflection on each and every person. And often being willing to talk about the truth is a mark of authenticity. It's a mark of sort of, if you're constructive about it, being, you know, what we talk about at StubHub being like the pragmatic optimist, which is you can come in and be a truth teller and then bring a solution. You can come in and be a truth teller in the spirit of knowing that it's possible to achieve something more, which is very different from being a truth teller who's just like, mm, let me come and blow it out all this crappy stuff to you. And then just like, you know, walk out the door and leave you to deal with it without any suggestion of how to make it better. Um, so I was, I mean, by the way, I can't tell you I'm perfect at this because I'll say to people like, you know, I like, I want you to speak up yet. Uh, my personality sometimes makes it really hard for people to speak up. So I get how hard it is yet. It's what, yeah, it's what I crave as a leader. I want to go way, way back. Sure. Take me back to where you were born, where you grew up and the socioeconomic dynamic and what was your first inspiration Oh, to wow. be a leader of ah. men and women. Sure. Oh, that part's easy, actually. So um, I grew. I was born in Dar es Salaam, Tanzania. My parents were Indian. They were both doctors uh, um, who ended up uh, running a joint medical practice in Africa. And they immigrated to Canada when I was two. So I grew up in Canada and Ontario, uh, in southern Ontario, in a very small town called St. Catharines, where my parents immigrated to and set up a medical practice late in their life. Um, my dad was the only guy with the turban in town. Uh, my parents were virtually the only Indians, uh, in this small, really welcoming and kind of genuinely great town in Canada, uh, called St. Catharines. Um, my inspiration to be a leader came entirely from my father. He, uh, loved being a doctor and was somebody whose passion and his vocation completely lined up. Like he was meant to serve people and love serving people. 
but he also loved business. Like he loved running a small business. So my first job, I was telling people, it's like I was entering ledgers into his tax, you know, to do his tax returns, entering ledger. Like by the time I was seven or eight, we were all working for my dad. By the time I was 11 or 12, I knew I had to do his tax return. By the time I was like, my first job was in his office. By the time I was like 17, I'd built him an Excel, you know, program, maybe 18 to like freaking automate that ledger that he'd have his hand do with a calculator when we were young because we'd like punch in all the numbers and add it all up. And, and so, and he just loved running a small business. You know, he had all these ideas for his business. Um, he was always telling me to work for myself. So, so I feel like I got that inspiration directly from him, even though I didn't realize it at the time. By the time I was in my mid-20s, like even working in banking and at Sky, I want to be an entrepreneur. You know, I didn't want it in my early career, but like I said, four or five years in, I was like, oh, I want to work for myself. I want to start a company. Hey, everybody. Let me remind you one more time about my new blueprint for success. It's a project I've spent months and months working on just to help you jumpstart your comedy career and beat the competition. Whether you want to do stand-up, sketch, improv, acting, writing, producing, directing, radio, social media influencing, or even if you want a career behind the scenes as a manager or agent, Blueprint for Success will give you all the tools you need to take your career to the highest levels. With exclusive interviews, my top 50 commercial-free episodes from Industry Standard, one-on-one -on -one coaching with me, and unprecedented access into my knowledge and experience from over 40 years in this crazy business. I guarantee you that with Blueprint for Success, you'll become the creator you've always dreamed of becoming. No one's asking me to do this. I want to do it because I want to help you become truly undeniable. So just go to BarryCats.com, click on Blueprint for Success, and start your incredible journey today. I truly can't wait to work with you to help you change the trajectory of your comedy career forever. So what was your first big break to go from Sky mm -hmm. to the path that you're in now? Well, interestingly, my first big break was way before that um i think my biggest break actually was not um banking to tech i did get a break there uh, my first brick break was uh was getting into investment banking because I, I think i told you i was at a small business school up in canada and uh a few big banks and consulting companies would come recruit there uh, like who came Goldman and McKinsey and some others. And in my final year of college, I decided to go away on exchange. And so I missed recruiting season. And I came back happy as a clam because I'd been living in Europe and having fun. And of course, so short-sighted that I'd missed the recruiting season. And so I came back. All my friends had these prestigious jobs. I had none. And I interviewed in the spring and I couldn't get a job. So I stayed in the small town in which my college was, London, Ontario, and I got a job selling hotel space in a local hotel, sales. And all my friends were on their way to New York or Toronto with these prestigious companies. And then the following, and I waited. I said, I'm going to go, I'm going to recruit with the class below me because all those same companies are going to come to campus. So I stayed in that small town and I went through recruiting season in the fall. And I didn't get a job again. And so all these prestigious companies came and I could get to first, second round interview or second round interview and I didn't get the offer. And I spent the whole fall 
thinking like I was a complete schmuck and wondering like what was wrong with me that like Goldman Sachs didn't want me. And I understand, by the way, these are very first world problems. So I have no illusions, right? Or like, why didn't McKinsey want me? Why didn't Bain want me? Like, what was wrong with me? And so I still didn't get a job. And then I, a, a company that I wasn't that excited about in Toronto gave me a job. It wasn't my dream job. I said yes. Um, and a friend of mine had done his own job search because Merrill Lynch didn't come up to Canada at that time to recruit and had gotten himself to the World Financial Center right across from the World Trade Center with Merrill Lynch, which, as you know, the bull, like one of the big, you know, banks. And he told the recruiting department about me. And I got this nice letter from Merrill Lynch. It was like, if you're ever in the New York area, we would be happy to give you an informational interview. And I sort of like looked at the letter. It was kind of a joke. And I, and my, I talked to my dad dads, they're everything. And he said, uh, why don't you just buy yourself a train ticket? Go down and see them. I'm like, dad, this is one of those letters that they give people as a courtesy when you send in your resume <laughs> from some small town in Canada. And he's just buy a train ticket. You never know. Take him up on that offer and just say, yeah, I'm going to be in New York and I'd love 15 minutes. You failed in how many interviews? Oh gosh, I failed in probably 15. Okay. And there's no one in the room but them. Yeah. And you. Yes. There's no one to tell you, okay, I think it'd be better if you rolled out with this first, yeah. that second, close with this. Yes. Nobody. And then do this. So your only pattern example is going in with the pattern that you've been in with that's failing. Yes. So then you take the train down there. What do you adjust in your interview style that gets you the gig? But here's the thing. This is why I say it's a big break. I adjusted nothing. I found the place where my values fit. And what I had to offer is what, is what you know, Merrill felt it needed. So that's, that's the difference. When I say it was a big break, I, I mean, I don't mean this in a good way. I mean, I'm just saying, like, I didn't know enough to adjust. I was like, maybe I was just rinse and repeat. But what happened is I went down to Merrill, and I will still remember, I, if I've not tracked this woman down, I should. There was a woman named Merrill Heller. Maybe she'll one day listen to this podcast. That's and so. one other gentleman. And I went to the World Financial Center, you know, my nice little suit all the way down from Canada. And um, I spent 15 minutes with her just talking about myself. I don't know what she was interviewing me for. And she's like, hey, would you hold on? She got another guy. And I talked to them. And... And then they basically, I think maybe then on the spot or maybe within a week, they were like, oh, we're having this thing called Super Saturday in January. We bring all the kids from all the Ivy League schools in the United States into New York City for a weekend and you interview all day and we'd like to invite you. So I skipped all the interview rounds. Like, you know, there was like no, like, I mean, all, and what I understood later is like if you're at you know, Stanford or Princeton or Harvard or all these other places. Like there are multiple rounds with these banks where they're interviewing you and lots of people want the slot. And then finally you go to what's called a Super Saturday in New York and you're up against all these kids, right? And then you're competing. You're all interviewing all day. And then, and so I just bypassed that whole process and I came to Super Saturday in January and I interviewed against all these amazing kids from the United States. And on my birthday, like two weeks later, she called me and I got the job. And so... And so that was just a completely random process and I didn't adjust anything. And in hindsight, and then my, and then I got to Merrill and of course by the time I got to Merrill, so now I'm a year behind my friends to get the dream job I want. But when I got there, I was so ready to prove that I deserved to be there. And then I ended up with yet another guy, a guy named um, Henry, who was the youngest MD in the financial services uh, category, you know, business at Merrill. 
And Henry, I got staffed with Henry, this MD, and he just gave me a bunch of breaks. And he just kept giving me more and more work. And I kept delivering. And so Henry and I would work together. And we, and he just skipped a bunch of people in between just to work with me directly. And so those two people, they gave me a break. And they saw something. And they looked at my aggressiveness or my style or whatever, whatever rawness was there, because I'm sure it was raw. And instead of looking at it as a weakness, they looked at it as a strength, right? So, some, and I think that maybe that level of aggressiveness or ambitiousness, like somebody embraced it, and it didn't matter that I wasn't as polished. And that—that's my interpretation. Who knows now? Awesome. But I've always been that person, and I feel like—and I feel like I found the place I fit. And that wraps up part one of our podcast. I just wanted to thank my incredible partners, starting with Aquatrue, the revolutionary miniature countertop water purification system that works straight out of the box. Plug it in, fill it with tap water, and immediately turn your faucet into your favorite bottled water for pennies. You can get $100 off when you go to industrystandardwater.com and just type in the promo code BEAR and start enjoying the best water you've ever had and never buy another bottle of water again. And I Killed JFK, the groundbreaking film about the only living person who admitted to killing Kennedy. Go to IKillJFK.com, buy the film and the rare interviews with five of the last living experts, and I guarantee it'll change your mind about what happened that day. And the Air Doctor, the innovative portable air purification system which will change your overall quality of life. It instantly removes dust, pet hair, mold, pollen, flu viruses, and other contaminants circulating in your home. Normally $600, and if you don't believe me, check Amazon right now. But for a limited time, I can offer you 50% off. That's a $300 savings. Just go to airdoctorpro.com, type in the promo code Barry, and start breathing the cleanest and healthiest air in the world. And that wraps up part one of two episodes. You can check out the next episode this coming Thursday. And here's a preview of the next episode. People perceive that I think I can control everything. I sure try hard, but I've also learned at this point in my career, things are going to break the way they're going to break sometimes, and you just don't know. And I feel like being in startups tells you that. You can put everything into something and have it not work out, but your satisfaction is that you put everything into it. Thank you so much for listening, and have a great day. As always, this has been Industry Standard with me, Barry Katz. And if you like the show, tell all your friends. And if you don't like the show, tell all your friends. You get out the money. Drop that fancy car. All the people love you. Cause you're going far. Life is for the dreamers They have all to gain It's never quite over Till it all feels the same You pick your own poison Dig your own grave Down in the valley Fortune Fortune Fortune
Thank you for listening to Industry Standard with Barry Katz. If you'd like more info on our schedule of new episodes or how to reach Barry through Twitter, Facebook, or email, go to barrykatz.com. Before you leave, please take a moment to subscribe to our podcast. Leave a comment and rate it, even if you think it blows. Thank you for your support and have a great day.